You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's our pastor with this week's sermon. Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Good, awesome. So we had an incredible time without you at Winter Conference last week. So we've got some uh, people we want to be able to share. Listen, we had some some really, really great moments. I'll be talking about that some during uh, my message this morning and everything. But right now, we're going to ask a few of the kids and a couple of the adults that went uh, with us as well to be able to share with you guys. So uh, I would like to ask, we'll go ahead and break the ice with the adults. So if we could get Tim and Jenny... Uh, uh, to, to come up. And then the rest of you guys, um, Ainsley, Malia, Nate, if you guys will go up here and just be ready uh, for whenever they get finished, just come on up here. <laughs> well, first of all, to clear up any confusion, uh, Jenny and I are not students. <laughs> <laughs> That ship sailed for me 20, 25, 30 years ago. I'm not going to speak to you. I'm not going to um, get in trouble that way. But we do have the awesome privilege of serving as adult leaders in the Next Gen Ministry. And three things uh, really impacted me this weekend or last weekend at Winter Conference. The first was just the opportunity for my entire family to go. Me, Jenny, the two girls, Mom and Maggie. Uh, and just to have a weekend focused specifically on going closer as a family to Jesus, but also that was very special uh, to me. So glad for that opportunity. Second thing was just spending time with the other adult chaperones or adult leaders. Uh, it's always good. We had a huge group together, which is awesome. But it was just good to spend some time with them, to laugh with them, and to also laugh at them. Probably did too. So that was fun. But the, the thing that was challenged most through this weekend was really our kids, the students. Uh, specifically how they rallied around those that made decisions for Christ, how excited they were, and just how encouraging they were. And I was challenged with that, to be quite honest. I'm not so sure we as adults really do that as much as we should. And they really set the example for me in the area of discipleship, which is where that starts being encouraging. Uh, just being excited about the people who come to So it was a great weekend. Um, and I would just encourage you, if you have a chance to get plugged in and God is leading you to help out in the student ministry, please don't hesitate. Thank you, guys. All right, Ainsley. Hello, I'm Ainsley Zinsky. I had a ton of fun at Winter Conference last weekend. It was my first year going. And the sermon that spoke to me most was Clayton King's sermon on prayer. It reminded me that prayer is a huge part of our lives as a Christian, and if we're not praying, we can feel very low in our lives and feel very broken. But if we are praying on a daily basis, it reminds us that God can put us back together when we're feeling broken. And if you're like in a low or dark time, I highly encourage you to like keep praying because your prayers will be answered and you will feel tons better in your life. Thank you. Uh, hello, my name is Nate. Um, <laughs> um, my favorite part about going to Winter Conference was uh, the time we had to worship. Um, during that 
time I felt like I had like that one-on-one -on -one time with God where I could just praise him and sing. Um, also, I got to um, uh, build better connections with people in the youth group um, and like just get closer with one another. So yeah, that's my favorite part. So I have a question for Nate. Every time we go somewhere, he always asks me about Christian pickup lines. Did you, did you use any of those Christian pickup lines at Winter Conference? No. You didn't. So which one of your favorite Christian pickup lines that I've taught you is, is your favorite? I can't remember, honestly. One about numbers? Oh, yeah, yeah, the one about, uh, Tell him what the one of the... I forgot how I Oh, Yeah. So I told him to walk up. He's at a conference, good Christian young lady there, and say, hey, I've been studying the book of Numbers and realized I didn't have yours. Could you? <laughs> I heard him use it a couple of times. So, all right. And Malia. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. So that, that is the reason we do these trips. You guys can have a seat. Uh, thank you so much. Get, guys, give my hand again for coming up and sharing. It's, um, it's difficult even for adults sometimes to get up and stand in front of a crowd. It's difficult for me sometimes to stand up and, and talk before uh, a crowd, and, and we wanted to be able to share. We had two students who prayed to receive Christ uh, during our time. And I can't tell you all of Malia's story, and you don't need to know, but I'm going to tell you something. When she said that, uh, I am going to share this, this one piece um, on... 
uh, Friday before we left, she and I were alone in my office. I needed to talk to her alone for a second. And I looked at her and I spoke these words to her. I said, Malia, you're family now. You have a family. And the sermon she's talking about, the first one that Clayton preached, was basically an exposition of why she's family now. And it was incredible. And, and when she says every sermon was applicable to her situation, yeah, absolutely. It was, and we saw God work in a mighty way. So uh, my challenge this morning is not to preach too long. Okay? Some of you are not smiling. The Cracker Barrel's waiting on you. Uh, yeah, I think I heard Jerry just say he knows better. So um, we're going to be uh, talking this morning a little bit more about Winter Conference, about student ministry, uh, about the next-gen ministry and family ministry. If you could turn me down into monitors just a little bit, that's fine, because i got a little bit of feedback going on. And... Uh, that's good. So if you will, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to jump around just a little bit to save time, uh, but we're going to be talking this morning about becoming good soil, about coming good soil. Most of us have read this parable before, um, and it's really, really hard uh, to preach out of this parable, and I'll tell you why. It would be really, really hard as, a, as someone who writes commentaries to write commentary on this because Jesus provides his own commentary on this particular uh, parable. So what on earth are you going to expose or comment on that when he's already done that? Well, I can share what this verse has kind of meant to my life and, and what this parable has affected me and, and, and my family over the years and kind of talk just some observations of working with students, working with families, and, and, and seeing what that looks like. So if you will, uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 1 here. It says, That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. And large crowds gathered to him, so he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. This is a beachside winter conference, okay? Verse 3, And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seas fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on rocky places where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up because they had the de no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on good soil. Everybody say good soil. And yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's stop right there. And at, from verse 10 to about verse 17, Jesus gives an explanation as to why he is teaching in parables. And it might be frustrating if you went to a college class and you were hearing somebody lecture you or you come to a Sunday school class and everything was given through a story that somehow you were trying to decipher what was going on. I, I can sure, I'm, I'm kind of sure that the disciples were like, hey, Jesus, can't you just give it to us black and white? This and this equals this. That's not what Jesus wanted to do. 
And that's not how. And so he, during this explanation from 10 to 17, when you go back and study this this afternoon, whenever you go back to look at this, read through 10 through 17 and understand why he's speaking in story. Almost all of Jesus is a good portion of the majority, 70-something percent, I believe, of Jesus's teaching was done through story. So we're going to skip ahead to verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Verse 22, And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Dear God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we present this word to you this morning, God. We ask your Holy Spirit to speak to us, be with us in this congregation. Lord, let this be your words, not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. So, before we go to any of our uh, conferences, winter conference, summer camp, retreats, anything like that, so I usually give some talks to the, to the students beforehand, and I'm actually going to kind of give the same talk uh, this morning. Uh, one of those is, is the fact that preparing your heart and getting ready for what God has for you. And what I tell them to do is to visualize whatever we're going to, like winter conferences at the Gatlinburg Convention Center in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And so I tell them envision that God has left packages for you all around that convention center, some inside, some outside, some in your hotel room, some is going to be outside, and there's packages all around for you that God has left for you. We, we talked about the same thing at Passion. We've talked the same thing at summer camp. And what I tell the kids, uh, this, I shouldn't call them kids because I don't look at them as kids. What I tell the students um, is that I don't want you to miss what God's got for you. I don't want you overlooking the packages. And how you do that, how you overlook that and you don't get those packages and get the things that God has got for you is by being constantly distracted and not being focused on what it is that God is giving you. Do you believe that God could give you a gift and you choose not to open it? Yeah. There are times that God brings things into our lives that He chooses to give us, and we choose not to open them. Whether we leave them sitting there, whether we're too distracted, whether we're just you know, too busy, and we're just not paying attention to what it is that God wants to speak to us, and we miss it. Here Jesus is trying to tell, uh, tell them about a story about the kingdom of God and, and understanding that. Many of us have sat in church services year after year after year. We've probably heard the entire Bible preached. 
And we've sat right next to our neighbors and people from our community that's heard the same messages. And somehow your heart has changed and theirs didn't. There is a certain preparation of being prepared for the Word and prepared for what God wants to speak to us. If you're like me, I've read through this passage of Scripture many, many, many times over the years, and somehow I've identified with the thorny soil and said, you know what, the cares of the world has really got me down right now. Sometimes I feel like God has really had a word for me, and somehow I've missed it. And this morning, not because I'm preaching, not because there's anything special about me, but because we're presenting the Word of God and we're talking about the kingdom of God from the Word of God, I believe that God would have a special message for you this morning, and I hope that you don't miss it. And I hope that you try to uh, really focus what it is that God is speaking to your heart and that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. A couple uh, months ago, I suggested, just simply suggested on a Wednesday night, because I noticed that a lot of our teenagers, and even adults, don't hate me, uh, are, are playing on their phones during service, or texting people, or, and I found myself doing it, responding to texts from people outside of service, and I said, hey guys, what would it look like if we started bringing our phones down to the altar and, and just started putting them there during service and said, you know what, God, we're going to give way to your glory for this hour, hour and a half each Sunday morning away from distraction because we won't hear. And so on their own, a group of our students started bringing their phones up here. I don't know if you've seen it. Because they wanted to give way to God's glory in their life. Just for a little bit, little bit of time. I see a lot of people reaching down, throwing their phones down the floor. So it's, <laughs> nobody's judging here or anything like that. So what I'm going to talk about this morning is we go through this scripture and, and kind of really talking to families, talking to individuals, and, and, and just looking at the word and more sharing my heart and my family's story and, and, and those things like that. There's going to be a temptation, guys, listen, to feel guilt and to feel shame. Those are not from God this morning. I want everybody to understand that. Guilt and shame. What I do hope that we all feel, including myself, is conviction. And you're like, well, isn't conviction guilt? Not exactly, okay? The Greek word for conviction, and every time we see that conviction that's written in there, it's not guilt and shame. And a lot of times Christians confuse that. Conviction, the word conviction is actually means to turn the light on, okay? To turn the light on. You can see what's kind of being hidden, Okay? You've walked into a dark room before and you're like, oh, I can't wait to be home. And then you turn the light on and you're like, the house is a mess. Been there? Yeah. Or you turn the light on and it's like, hey, somebody clean the house. And so you're able to see. So what I want to see happen is the Word of God, the Spirit of God this morning, turn the light on to our lives as we study through the Scripture and as we talk a few of these things. Okay? Um, so let's go back to verse 18. And we're just going to talk about what Jesus said was the explanation of, of these sowers. Real quick, I will tell you this. How many of you guys grew up gardening or farming at all? So this will really resonate with you. Almost everybody back in the time that this was written, Jesus would have, they, they grew their own food. And so this would have really hit home. Um, I grew up in the North Georgia mountains. I'm talking about country, okay? 
in North Georgia mountains. I think uh, one of our adults over the trip said, I didn't even know they had mountains in Georgia. Oh, yeah, they do. Okay, trust me. If you ever meet somebody from there besides me, yeah, buddy, <laughs> um, you'll know it. So um, we grew up growing a lot of our own food. My grandmother, this is a true story, my grandmother lived right on the tri-state area of Georgia, Tennessee, and North Carolina. If, if you guys know where Murphy, North Carolina is, Blue Ridge, Georgia, and Copper Hill, Tennessee, it all kind of meets right there. My grandmother's house, her name was Rosie, she was a saint. Uh, she cooked biscuits for every meal. Somebody amen? Yeah, um, and so and she, and she did. Uh, my grandpa uh, chopped so much firewood that he had to build additional sheds just to put the firewood in. That was the kind of man he was. That's he didn't do nothing but working all the time. Even after he retired, all he did was sit out there and chop wood. Not with one of those wedge things, not with a log splitter. He was out there with an axe splitting wood like all the time. It was just like, Grandpa, it's the middle of July. We don't need all this wood. And I mean, whoever got their house after they passed away are still using that wood, I guarantee it. So, <clears throat> um, and so that's the kind of life they, they live. Uh, my, my grandmother, we maintained probably about, I think it was eight gardens on that property. It was, a, it was almost about 100 acres there on the property. And, uh, and so we grew up in the summertime, we would gr get up really early. Other kids would be sleeping in, watching TV and all that stuff. Well, me and my brother had to get up early uh, before the sun come up so that we could get out to the garden and tend to the gardens up until about lunchtime. And then at that point, that's when it got too hot to be out there. I would argue that it was too hot at 9 a.m., but they didn't see it my way, and so we were out there to lunch, and then we went and ate fresh tomato sandwiches or tomatoes on biscuits, amen, and so, uh, and drink Kool-Aid and watch a little bit of TV. So, so I grew up seeing this rose. My grandpa, uh, in the, being the prideful worker man that he was, would not let anybody else plow the rows until I was like way up in age, okay? Because it had to be perfectly straight, and he was the only person that could run this thing that straight, okay? You guys know what I'm talking about? So uh, how many of you guys grew up on tobacco farms out here? And yeah, so I, I see, I hear a lot of tobacco farm stories with a lot of my friends uh, now live in North Carolina and hear some of those stories. And so so this gardening thing and this farming thing um, really speaks to me a little bit, and maybe it does to you uh, if you've ever planted anything, if you've ever uh, plowed up something, if you've ever uh, got in there and dug up weeds. Anybody done that? You weeded the garden? That was most of our work was weeding the garden. Uh, and so, so hearing this, this really hits the home. So I just wanted to kind of jog some of your memory as we go into this to talk about this. He says, hear then the power, parable of the sower. This is Jesus explaining this parable. And he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown into, does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. So Previously, he says, the one that doesn't understand it, the one that's distracted, this is the one that the seed has just fallen. It wasn't even meant to go there. And we've seen that. We've seen all kinds of friends that they've went to the same conferences. They've heard the same evangelistic messages. And you're just like, why does it not hit home with them? Even as Christian families or families who are trying to honor their faith and grow in Christ... We become so distracted by the things of this world 
and so distracted by everything that's going on around us that we're missing what God is wanting to say to us and say to our families and do in us. And we're not seeing growth. We're not seeing the fruit of God's word. Why aren't my kids converting? Why isn't this happening? Why isn't that happening? Why am I not growing in the word? Why am I not sharing my faith? I really want to, but I don't. Listen, listen to this just a second. Evil in 2020, 2020, I meant to say it twice. Evil in 2020 is spelled B-U-S-Y in our families. If you can't spell, that's busy. It's busyness. How many of you guys would agree we're busy? We're busy, man. We're, we're going to work. We're dropping the kids off at daycare. We've got soccer practice. We've got swim. We've got dance. We've got all this stuff going on. We've got volleyball going on. We've got doctor's appointments, and I've got to get here and get there and got, got to get all this stuff done. And it really feels like whenever we hear a message from God or hear a challenge from the pastor uh, to, to do something, we just, we want to, we have good intentions and we want to see it done, but we just don't do it because we're so busy. We're just busy, busy, busy all the time. Do you guys feel like you're busy all the time? Do you guys feel like you're busy all the time? Yeah. It used to feel like it wasn't this way. Does anybody remember when you felt like it wasn't busy? Okay, let me read this to you real quick. Like I said, the guilt and shame, we need to set that to the side. This is flipping the light on. Just a second. A decade ago, 10 years ago, the average cell phone user spent 90 minutes a day on their phone. Now, the average is three hours a day on their phone. Now, that's the average. You might be saying, well, I don't spend three hours on my phone. Well, maybe you don't. Maybe you spend an hour on it and somebody else spends six on theirs. So however it adds up. But the average is about three hours a day. Real quick, if you have your phone and it's not on the altar, just leave it on the altar if it's on the altar. Pull out your phone. If you know where this is at, especially with iPhone, there is a, there is a, a thing there that tells you about your phone usage. Screen time. Yeah, screen time. If you go into, it's in your settings, right? If you go into your settings and look at screen time, we're not going to call out shame. We did this with our students back a couple months ago. Somebody yell out what your screen time was for this week. Six hours, 34 minutes, two hours. Was that for the week or for the day? 11 minutes. That's my hero back there. That was on accident. One hour a day, one hour a day. Okay, so we have no reason to believe that this isn't false. Whenever we did this with our students, of course it was higher with our students. We heard... Uh, we heard things like six and eight hours and those things like that. Listen to this. Social media. Social media is definitely a lot, used a lot more than it was 15 years ago when it was first coming out with Facebook and, and, and those sorts of things. 45% of our world, the entire population of the world, 7 billion people, 45% of them use social media. The other is living in 
primitive areas. But the average social media user spends two hours and 23 minutes per day on social media. Now, that can be mixed in with the phone. We're not going to add that because that somehow could be mixed in with the phone. Because most people use social media on, on their phone. Is anybody feeling guilt and shame yet? We're not doing guilt and shame. Remember, we're putting that off to the side. We're flipping the light on. How many of you guys have a Netflix account? How many of you are lying right now? No. Okay. Netflix. The average Netflix user per week spends 10 hours per week watching Netflix. Amazon Prime. The average user spends five hours per week on Amazon Prime. For Hulu, five hours. And this includes people that have multiple accounts as well. You have Netflix, Amazon Prime, and Hulu. It all mixes up. The average is out to five hours. Uh, Disney Plus is so new that we don't have data on that yet. <clears throat> and you're like, well, I don't do any of that. I do things the old way, and I watch some sports, and you know, I watch traditional TV. Listen, traditional TV users are still spending an average of 19.6 hours a week watching TV. That's 2.8 hours a day. Why are we so busy? Why are we so busy and distracted? Why do we feel so busy, but yet we've got all the time in the world for this? Is, it some, is, it, is there something that's, that's missing in us? Maybe a hole that we're trying to fill? Maybe somehow that we're trying to entertain or feed something that we're not getting? That maybe we should be getting something better? Because what seems to happen is the further that we go in this cycle of the phone use, of the TV use, of the social media, and all those things like that, it seems like the further that we go into that, that the worse that it gets. It's almost like it's a, don't say the word, addiction. The more that it keeps going, the more time that we spend doing it. But we're all quick to defend. Ask any of your teenagers how much time you're spending on Instagram or on whatever this week. And they'll, they'll get defensive. They will. But you know why? Because I'll get defensive. You would get defensive if somebody were to ask you about it. Listen, something that I came up with um, that I realized probably about seven years ago when I first started Bible college and got to really reading some things. I grew up in a generation, do any of you guys grow up in a church where you guys had a revival and you took some things outside and burned it, like people would bring stuff, like maybe their rock and roll tapes or records? Does anybody remember that? And they'd take pictures of it and say, look, it looks like a demon in the fire. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm talking about? I remember... I remember uh, being a teenage kid and we had this guy come to our church and he preached and they did this big bonfire, man. It was a big stack. And one of my friends brought this big box of Playboys and threw in there. And I'm like, your parents let you have that? You know? <laughs> and um, craziness. 
And I heard so much preaching about rock and roll, secular music, rap music, R-rated movies, PG-13. And we have literally made those moral issues an enemy. And don't get me wrong, there's sin, there, there's sin involved in those things. And we've kind of targeted those. You know, we're not watching R-rated movies in my house unless it's about the passion of the Christ. Or, you know, we're not going to watch movies that's got nudity in it and stuff. And you, and you shouldn't do that. It's not, a good, it's not a good thing, okay? But we've made that kind of our target, for, for all these years and said, you know, we don't listen to secular music because they say bad words in it. We don't do this. We don't do that. And we've kind of made that our target. When, when I think, when it gets down to the real issue, the real issue that is affecting those in the church and outside of the church is not those issues of morality at all. Yes, we shouldn't watch things with nudity in them. Yes, we shouldn't be listening to stuff that's got filthy language and talking about women in inappropriate ways and all that. I get that. But the real enemy to the message of the kingdom of God is a worldly, godless philosophy. Now hang with me just a second. If we're spending all this time watching TV shows, Netflix, binge-watching Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, spending all this time into a world that teaches and presents something other than a God culture, something other than biblical values, something that's not based in Scripture. It's not based to treat people to look at their lives through the lens of eternity. I want to suggest to you that it's no longer entertainment, but indoctrination. It's indoctrination of, of a system that excludes God and godly values. Some of my kids right now are thinking, oh my gosh, what is he saying? My parents are about to kick my TV out the house. That's not what I'm saying, and I'll get around to that in a minute. Hold on just a second. Mia's over there going, shh. But what I mean by indoctrination is, is if that we're sending our students, your children, the one that you've been tasked with to raise in the favor and the admonition of the Lord, to teach them these sayings and they're going in and they're going out, when you've been tasked with teaching them the grace of God, the gospel of Jesus, but yet almost all of their time that we feel so busy with is being spent in a philosophy, in a worldview that is teaching them to have relationships that don't that don't coincide with the Word of God. To have a sense of humor that doesn't lift up biblical values. To have a worldview, the way that they look and they see society and the way that they see culture, and even the way that you see culture and the way that you, uh, the way that you have relationships with your coworkers and your family are based and set 
in a philosophy that does not include God or his word or his values or his morals. Social media teaches us to to want what others have, whether it's intentionally or not. We scroll, we scroll, we scroll, and we're seeing the best of other people's lives and comparing it to the worst of ours. We've continually scroll and scroll and more time and more time, and we've got ads given to us through traditional TV and through YouTube and through all these social media sites, even driving down the road. If you could just count the hours and the minutes that you spend consuming advertising that's also given through a godless culture. I just drove back from Florida yesterday and just, I mean, it would be insane to sit there and count all the billboards, some appropriate, some not appropriate, of just the messages that are constantly being given to us. But yet, we have a hard time in the church We have a hard time, guys, listen, as pastors, as teachers, as Sunday school teachers, as mentors, as small group leaders, we have a really, really hard time getting people to understand the truth of God's Word and to be able to communicate it in such a way that they can learn and grow in discipleship and we begin to see that multiplication. And the reason that we have such a hard time doing it is because people are so busy, Three weeks ago, today, Pastor Bob stood on this stage and asked us to enter into a fast, a 21-day fast. Today is the last day of that for me and my family. And, and I just wanted to see what it would look like. And so I went home that day, and, and I didn't fast food. I'm on a, on a diet right now, trying to lose some weight and things like that. And so I didn't fast food, not trying to mess that up. But I prayed about it, and so I went home I unplugged our television and I stuck it in uh, behind my wardrobe at home. And we didn't have a TV in our house for the last, and I'm not telling you that to brag or anything like that, but I'm telling you because it was such a helpful exercise. We will still at some point, we will plug the TV back up, but I guarantee we're going to do things different. We started paying more attention to our quiet times, more attention to giving way to the word. And things began to change in our home. Those things, I could literally, out of this parable, I could preach a a series, but we don't have time for that right now. And I'm going to go on to the next two points here. Verse 20, the one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now, at summer camp uh, last last year, at Crossroads Summer Camp, uh, we had a little meeting at the end of camp. And, and we took this message to the students and said, you know, uh, for so long as a youth pastor, as a student pastor, I've heard people talk about, oh, you've just got a camp high, or you're just coming back from this conference, and you're just being excited, and it'll go away after a couple weeks, and it always does, and, and those things. And, and what I presented to them was, what if it didn't have to? 
What if we were able to go back home and live in a way that we're so connected with God and that we're so full of the Spirit that we can continue to pray this way, that we can continue to read Scripture this way, that we can continue to live in such a way with our relationships that we're not falling into sin. Because I really believe that that's what God wants for us. And it's not just at camp where it needs to happen. It's just not at the men's Bible conference, men, that it needs to happen or the women's retreat. It is God's will for us to live such a way all the time. Now, I realize at summer camp, we're not dealing with school hours and some of the pressures of homework. And, and you're not, when you go to some of these conferences and retreats, that you're, you know, you're going to be tired and there's different types of stresses. But that should not affect your relationship with God. When we're given the same word as all the church before us, We're given the same power that raised Christ from the dead. We're preaching the same gospels that the apostles reached out and preached and multiplied all over the world. It doesn't have to be that way. I believe a lot of times that this rocky soil, this rock, are strongholds in our lives. I believe that those rocks represent strongholds and agreements that we've made in our lives. And agreements look like this, and strongholds look like this, okay? If you begin to believe a lie, Satan comes into your ear and whispers, your mom loves your sister a lot more than you. And you say, yes, that's right. You have just entered into an agreement with the enemy. And you've held on to something. Or... My wife and I will never have the relationship that we had way back when. We've been through too much. We'll never have the relationship that we should have. And you agree with the enemy on that? Guess what? You've just entered into an agreement. You've agreed with what the enemy has said, and you've allowed a stronghold to come into your life. There are so many strongholds. There's so many past hurts. Rick Warren calls these hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Sometimes it will be addictions that you can't give up. Overeating, alcoholism, drugs, pornography, gambling, whatever those things are. Those rocks. You'll hear the word, and it'll come down so far, and you'll be excited. Then when persecution comes... You're burnt out because there were no roots. No roots to your faith because you haven't dealt with those issues. Last, or next to last, and the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. We saw this in the life of the rich young ruler. Listen, those thorns, whether we want to admit it or not, guys, and I'm going to say this, and you might be offended. If you do, please come talk to me. Listen, those thorns are masked as the American dream. 
the American dream that you can have all the prosperity and that's what you need to be going is after your dreams and you need to build wealth for you and your family. Listen, God does want you to build wealth and take care of your kids and and your grandkids and be able to do all those things, but it's not done through the philosophy of the American dream. It's done through God's worldview of the Scriptures. And if you're chasing your dreams, then you have not nailed your sin to the cross with Jesus. Turn to me to Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 1. Paul talks about this, and he says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. Notice he says your bodies, not your mind, not your soul, not your spirit, not the eternal parts, but he says to present your body as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. That's worship. Presenting your body to God as a living sacrifice. God, my yes is on the table. Whatever you have for me and my family, I put it here now and I'm willing, God, if it means leaving my job and serving you, if it means staying at my job and serving you, if it means spending my family vacation to go on a missions trip, if it means giving up some time so that I can teach at Awanas on Wednesday night, if it means giving up some time so I can go share my testimony at Upward on a Saturday morning, no matter what you've got for me, God, I'm putting my guests on the table because I'm giving it to you, my time, all of it, as a living sacrifice. Paul goes on to say in verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, talking about that godless philosophy, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. A lot of people are always asking, what is God's will for my life? What is it that God wants from me? If I only knew what God's will, I would go after it. Listen, Paul tells us right here that if we will not be uh, conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds through the Spirit of God, that we will know what is the perfect will of God. You can know what the will of God is this morning in your life if you will be transformed. Dr. Charles Stanley talks about this presenting the body, and he talks about this, and he says that in the Greek, that is an aorist tense, which means it is a one-time event that we are surrendering our bodies, our lives, our everything to be crucified with Christ. So how do we do this, this this ground that's not fit for gardening, for farming. The rocky soil. The thorns. How do we convert that to good soil? How do we become good soil? How do we raise good soil? How do we make our families and our home life good soil? The same way that we did in those gardens back in North Georgia. Grandpa grabs his tiller and he chops up the ground. Sometimes some of those strongholds 
are things in our lives that need to die and make fertilizer. It is the truth of God's Word that plows up those areas of our heart, that chops up those thorns. It is the Word of God and the surrender to God and His will for us that turns us into that good soul. Listen to hear what the promise is. Verse 23, and the one goes on, and the one on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Owen, will you guys go ahead and come up? There are all of us deal with so many distractions in our life. So many cares of the world. So many things that are getting in our way of bearing the fruit that God wants us to. Remind you again, there's a temptation here for guilt and shame to creep in. Not asking for guilt and shame. We're asking that the Holy Spirit turn the lie on. So this morning, I want you to take this word. I want you to go back home I don't want you just to make a commitment here, but I want you to go back home. And what does this look like for me to become good soil? For the good soil to be in my family, to raise my children, my teenagers. So I ask you to stand with me. We're going to pray. If you want to come to the altar to pray out some of these things, Maybe even come with your family this morning. And just open up before God and say, God, will you lead me? Will you lead us to an area to where we can hear the word about your kingdom and multiply it? Listen, we are called as a church as the church of Jesus Christ, we are called to make disciples and to see them multiply all over the earth. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 a.m. for our weekly worship service.